Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Wine and Crime, the podcast where two friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Mm, sure do. Oh my gosh. I'm Amanda. And I'm Lucy. And we are super, super pumped about this week's episode. My loins are Vibrating. feeling the vibration of my hog. <laughs> hog girl winter? It's kind of a hog girl winter moment, but like a different kind of hog. And this mm-hmm. taps into my dreams to found the Lollipop Guild, my scooter gang. <laughs> so God, I remember you telling me about that when you scooted to uh, the Monte Carlo to meet my mom and myself. Bitch, I made a logo <laughs> so that I could put it on jackets. <laughs> Wait, I need a jacket. I don't have yeah. a scooter. Can I have a jacket? Of course you can have a jacket. You could be a an honorary member. Are they denim? They could be denim. They could be members only. They could be leather. They could have fringe. We'll get to the leather. We'll get to the leather. But if you're not picking up what I'm putting down, this week's episode is a very special fan pick from the lovely Justin White, who has selected biker crimes like bikes like motorcycles motorcycle crash you know you know (laughs) get on my hog not bicycle crimes no although that could be its own thing that'd be good for ragbri season it would be really good for ragbri season take Mm. note ragbri crime oh ragbri ragbri crime that's actually really fucking hard to say ragbri ragbri crime crime (laughs) <laughs> anyway, that's not this. We're just uh, thinking about future possibilities. Also, most of our listeners are wondering what the fuck Ragbri is, because I don't think the average Joe has that on their radar. Probably not, but you'll have to wait for the Ragbri yep. crimes episode that wait we to find m- out. might do one day. <laughs> Th- that day is not today. Today, we are discussing biker crimes and i have a recommendation today from our fan picker justin thank you so much for picking this topic who wanted to shout out busted grapes winery of black river new york for this episode (laughs) which is like busted but fucking busted which is shockingly fitting at least with my case today i don't know what you'll be covering in your segment but I've got some busted ass folks who got busted as fuck. <laughs> and you could get real busted on a motorcycle if you're not careful. You can get busted in a motorcycle gang. If you are careful. And it can't, yeah. Mm, different kind of busted. Right. So bustedgrapeswine.com is their website and their website is wild. Okay. I love a local winery. I love supporting a local business. And I love when said local business has a website that reminds me of like the old Heaven's Gate cult website. It's just like so <laughs> out of date. And like, I was Greg, I'm not trying to like rag on, rag on them, but 
If y'all need a little bit of a website update, you should reach out to us because we have an amazing <laughs> producer web and web designer. Andrea does great work. So just let us know if you want a little, if you want to be brought into 2024. Okay, not, busted grapes. I'm not going to like fully divulge my later content but we'll circle back to horrible to websites, websites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like really outdated janky ass websites i'm obsessed i love it so their website is super wild and super cute um i loved their origin story so i will share that with you now two people very much in love with each other got this crazy idea crazy. why don't we learn how to make wine <laughs> was this why a not? Why pandemic not? project it's not. I think they were founded before the panini, but oh, why not? Why not learn to make sourdough? I mean, no. I don't want to have to deal with starter or like mother. <laughs> mother. I yeast. can't with mother. Rising. It's. I have enough yeast to deal with. I don't need it in my kitchen. I have enough mother. Accurate. To sum up what could be a long story after some blood, sweat, several swear words, and lots of tears, that, my friends, is how Busted Grapes was born. That, my friends, is what is in Busted Grapes wines. Blood, sweat, tears, farts. (laughs) Swear words. Swear words. (laughs) It has and continues to be our mission to be involved in every aspect of our business by planting, pruning, and harvesting our cold, hearty grapes, because this is upstate New York. It is. Mm. It's cold up there. Building our little rustic winery from the ground up, perfecting our wine recipes to appeal to various tastes, and working in our tasting room and taking the time to visit with all of our customers that come in. I love wineries, breweries, things like this that are so small, where literally the people that you're ordering your glass of wine or glass of beer, whatever from, are the same people who made it. Yes, I love that too. It's a really cool experience. So, I mean... I think if you have access to something like that near where you live, I highly encourage you to check them out because you're getting like a, a, a great experience with people who are knowledgeable and also very passionate and proud of the product that they're serving you. And that just comes through in the service. I think that's so cool. They're serving you their baby. And also you visiting them makes an enormous impact. It does. This goes on to say, we want all our visitors to have a memorable, fun experience with the added perk of great tasting wine. Life is sometimes hectic, but when you come into our world, you will be tempted to forget about the craziness, maybe for just a few wonderful minutes, but sometimes that is all that it takes. Occasionally, everyone needs a timeout, so why not let us be part of yours? This is so Mm. fucking cute. We strive to create a feeling of belonging to our family in a good way, in parentheses, which I love. (laughs) It's like, not everybody has a great experience with their family, so we gotta... I don't want to be part of your family. We promise it's in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) Busted Grapes welcomes not only adults, but also families with their children in tow. Time spent with family is never time wasted. We want to become part of your extended family, and we will be your favorite crazy cousins that you always have fun with. As someone with a lot of crazy cousins, that appeals to me directly. They're like the Olive Garden. Yeah, when you're here, your family at Busted Smaller and better. Yeah, yeah, but I could use some breadsticks. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to flag that they are hosting an event for the 2024 solar eclipse because they're <gasps> in the line of totality. Which is where? Upstate New York. They're in, um, what's it called? Uh, Black River, New York. And the line of totality goes from like the top northeast corner of the U.S. down 
across like Texas and into Mexico. Oh, I my know. God. How fun is that? We have to plan our road trip because I know. Well, you're gonna hate me, but I'm I'm gonna be out of town for my cousin's wedding. You're okay. not the first. Scott and I will plan our road trip. Yeah, you guys go. You guys go <laughs> and just FaceTime me, and I'll answer on the dance floor. Our eclipse experience is the best experience of my entire life. It's like a core memory that we made four like or five years ago. Yeah, it was pre-pandemic. It was earlier than 2019, 2019 because I was still with Blam. Oh, really? No, I wasn't. I wasn't. That was a different trip. No, I was. Because I remember we went to a wedding together that night. And then I, he was going to, he th- was thinking about coming on that trip, but then said no. And I got in my mm-hmm. car after that wedding and drove through the night with Scott to get down to Des Moines. And then we woke up at the crack of dawn to go oh, yeah. to Nebraska. Tecumseh. You guys got there at like two in the morning, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. It was late because yeah. I didn't even pick Scott up until after nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. The that was oops an, that, that was we jumped an, through. So that had to have been like 2018. I think it was 2018. Because I think and I think that Blan and I broke up like not long after that. <laughs> well, we have our if you're not going to come with me. Yeah. <laughs> we I did. We got so our clip shirts. Come with. I know. Can you it imagine was... how much different our memories would be if Dan was there? I mean, yeah. actually, for me, not that Blam. different because I tend to block out like extra people Men. from my memories. <laughs> Men, excluding <laughs> Scott, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> of course. I add Scott to my memories. I replace unfavorable men just with Scott <laughs> in my <laughs> memories to make them palatable. <laughs> I'm fair. sure Scott would not be happy about that, but too bad. You can't control my memories, Scott. That's <laughs> one thing you can't control. It's one thing you can't control. So they talked about their cold weather wines. They do have a wide variety of wines to choose from. Now, full disclosure, they don't ship. This is like a small enough operation that I think the only way you're able to get the wine is by going into their location and tasting it in their tasting room. And I'm sure you could buy bottles in their tasting room. So I highly recommend anybody who lives anywhere near Black River, New York to go check them out. Tell them wine and crime sent ya. But they have a variety of wines to choose from, all made from their own grapes grown on their vineyard in upstate New York. And you'll notice a lot of similarities with what grows here in Minnesota and what grows up there. Because I was looking through their wines and I was like, oh, I know that grape. I know that grape. I know that grape. It makes sense. The climates are really, really similar. Same latitude. Same latitude. And because upstate New York is more, I guess, impacted by like lake effect weather from their Great Lakes... They actually get a lot more uh, precipitation, including snow, than Minnesota does. Really? Yeah. People forget that Minnesota literally gets too cold to snow. Mm. Mm -hmm. It, like, won't snow when your temperature is negative 20 degrees. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. They're, They're a little bit more temperate, but, like, having lived in Rochester, upstate New York winters suck. Because of all the snow. The snow is brutal. And if you're anywhere near Buffalo, I mean, they just get rocked like every Mm. year. It's wild. And it like does not stop. But there's just like clouds that sit and rotate over the Great Lakes, like Erie and I think Ontario are like right there. Mm -hmm. And it just it can get real cloudy and real gloomy for the winter. So you need wine if you're living up there. God, this is weather and crime. Yeah, it is weather and crime now. So hit us up, Weather Channel. Again. 
again. <laughs> Bring that partnership back. I want to repitch the gals go storm chasing. I can't believe they slept you and on me that. Both. <laughs> Put us in a van and we will find a tornado. Let's just film a pilot. You know what? We've got Let's. enough tornadoes coming. We have just... plenty. We've got the weather. Bill has a van mm. and a bunch of camera equipment. What else do you need? Life insurance. What, like it's hard? I have life insurance. I have life insurance. All right, Let's we're go, set. baby. Strap in. Go. Strap in. We're going to need a bigger van. <laughs> we are going to need a bigger van. <laughs> so they snacks. have wines. They have wines that <laughs> feature Marquette and Frontenac grapes, both of which, depending on how they're handled, can yield a range of results on the dry to sweet spectrum. They have other varietals as well, but like Lucy, you wouldn't go to their website and find just like a soft blanc. But you'd find something okay. comparable to a Sauv Blanc. And you okay. could ask one of their very knowledgeable taproom people Can I just what say to guide you to. That since I've been back in the wine drinking game. What are you leaning toward? I've been branching out. And <gasps> I had a glass of red wine, but I don't remember what kind it was. You and chose I red wine on your own? I didn't choose it, but I drank it. And did you like it? Yeah. Do you remember the shape I don't know if of it was the like bottle? The, I don't I think it was a Pinot Noir. Okay. Was the bottle, did it look like me where it's like a little small on top and then it has a big butt? Yeah. Okay. That's most likely a Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. It was great. Okay. Also, I'm drinking a, I, I know this isn't that far from a Sauvignon Blanc, but a Pinot Grigio. I love Pinot Grigio. Mm-hmm. That's been it. really speaking to me. So okay, maybe maybe this new chapter in my life includes more, more than wine. just red wine. wine. M- more wine. <laughs> well, if you find yourself at a uh, busted grapes winery and you're looking for something on the drier side, I looking at their menu would lean toward their Marquette red. And if you are wanting to go on the sweeter side, they have one that looks really fun. It's their Frontenac Blanc, which is like an almost tropical sweeter white. Oh. Like I mentioned, I am not able to access this wine, but my husband got me little pink mini rolling papers. That's pink? Yes. Oh, my God. All you need is a mini rolling paper. Uh, It's hard to tell in this light. So I'm going to toke up. Are you drinking anything over there? Uh, I have a drink in the other room. But right now. Why is it not in the room with you? Call your husband. I've been drinking out of my enormous mother Stanley mug. Are you one of those fucking Stanley bitches now? I didn't think that I was. And it's matte black. It's 64 ounces. It is the size of, it's the height of my head. Look. I have to send you those TikToks of people pretending they have a Stanley Cup, but they're just holding like an entire trash can and like (laughs) slamming it down on a desk (laughs) or someone had like a full coffee pot. Well. Huge, absurd fucking cups. It is so fucking stupid and ridiculous and it takes forever to fill up, but- it's really nice not having to get up to, like, refill my water. Listen, I love not having to get up, so I feel I mean, you. Yeah. But. It's big, I, and I do drink a lot of water. I just. This is not, hashtag not an ad. Did you, like, knock over a bunch of teenage girls to get their Valentine Stanley at Target last week that came out? No. All right. Well, I clearly have you're this... not on Stanley talk. 
Well, I don't like pink, and this is my... I only have two Stanleys, and it's this huge black one and a, a different white one that I bought because before I knew what Stanley cups were. It's really weird to me that you don't like pink. But anyway, I love that you're getting hydrated. I'm also drinking some water. I also have a backup apple juice, and I think we are pretty much ready to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. I could go but get a drink. I mean, well, this is actually the perfect time for you to go get a drink because before we dive in to your background in psych... We're going to hear a quick word from our sponsors. Okay. And my kitchen's going to hear a quick word from me. Let's do it. Sometimes life is hard. Comes at you fast. It comes at you real fast. And it can have the capacity to turn everything abruptly upside down. And there's moments that hit you where you realize like, oh, it would really benefit me to talk to a therapist. And we are here to tell you not to wait for that moment. It it can be so life-saving to have that relationship in place for the inevitable time that will come (laughs) when you are dysregulated and when life hands you something that is really, really hard for you to overcome. And so if you even think in your mind every once in a while that like seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist might be helpful, but you just don't feel like you have the time to find one to meet with them or have the budget to afford it. We want you to try Talkspace because by doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting help that like you need and that you want easy, accessible and affordable. Yeah. And when we say don't wait, I mean, when something problematic or troubling or an obstacle pops up in your life, The last thing you want to do is go through all of the steps to, like, find a therapist. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know what? Don't wait. Yeah. You can get a therapist through Talkspace, and therapy can help you shift your perspective, find those tools to cope in difficult times when they show up. Mm -hmm. Not if, babes. When? And just be like a guiding light, like a North Star. It is incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home. You don't have to leave. You don't have to get dressed. Sometimes it's too much to ask to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. We know this. So there's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It is mental health care made easy. We always say it's millennial approved. Yep. You can text. It's gals approved. Yeah. Video chat, texting. The thing I love about the texting is that those messages, like, save, you can scroll back Mm -hmm. and just find that kind of comfort in what your therapist and you have chatted about previously. Talkspace is secure and private using the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information and complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. So they are there. They're also affordable and in network with most major insurers. So if that's another like obstacle that you are already getting anxiety about, (laughs) Mm -hmm. don't because it's ridiculously easy. And like Amanda said, if you think that you, that this might be helpful one day, today is the day to get started. It has helped her. It has helped me. It has helped a ton of other people. Just mm-hmm. take our word for it and give Talkspace a try. And as a listener of this podcast, you will get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash gals to match with a licensed therapist today. 
Go to Talkspace.com slash gals to get $80 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash gals and treat your brain. Treat it. Did you know that those little detergent pods for your dishwasher are also wrapped in plastic? Ugh. So for, like your, f- for your teenage pod challenge? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that... That film around your pods is plastic, and it is ending up in our oceans, rivers, and soil. It's and not- bodies. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, we're eating like a credit card's worth of plastic a week. I told that fact to a friend today, and he lost his mind. He didn't believe me, and I was like, look it up. I can't. It's disgusting. Yeah, the microplastics thing is rough, and Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic and the thus- get rid of microplastics by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and better for the planet with the same powerful clean that you are used to. Blue Land uses no single-use plastic in any component from their bottles, their tablets, their wrappers, to their shipping. Their tablet packaging is fully compostable. Blue Land products are also super effective and incredibly affordable. I And am- they smell good. They smell so good. My house smells like a spa. Mm-hmm. And I'm so obsessed with their dishwasher tablets. Like they have this cute little blue tin. They take up very little space. It's easy to tuck away either under the sink or leave on the counter. No more like having a big old thing of like liquid dish detergent or those giant buckets of plastic tubs. Yes. It's like this cute little recyclable tin. It's really cute. I'm obsessed with it. Their dishwasher tablets are proven to perform on baked on, burnt on stains. No rinse aid is needed. Listen, you know I hate doing dishes. Mm-hmm. I do like, a, I barely rinse my dishes before I even put them in the dishwasher. And they're coming out clean, babe. I can tell you right now. You can get even more savings by buying refills in bulk or do what I do and set up a subscription. This stuff just shows up at my house. We don't even have to add it to the grocery list. It's just taken care of for you. Their subscriptions are customizable and convenient so you never run out of your most used products and you don't have to just take our word for it, okay? Because Blue Land is trusted in over 1 million homes, including ours. Absolutely. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash gals. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash gals for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash gals to get 15% off and treat your dishwasher. <gasps> treat it. And we're back. And Lucy, it is your turn to take the take the handlebars. Oh. Uh-oh. Because there's no wheel. That weed's kicking in. <laughs> that didn't take long. Oh, no. Also, oh, no. I forgot my bones again. Oh, wait. Here they are. No psych? No, not really. Okay. It's oh, a lot of I history. That sound. I know. I love that sound. A lot of history. Okay. Oh, I like that. Oh, it's called an origin story. Hashtag bike facts. <laughs> bike facts. Okay, so according to the History Channel, in the early 1900s, motor bicyclists often got together in riding clubs for fun. Riding clubs for fun? (laughs) These early motor bicyclists would ride vehicles that resembled beach cruiser bicycles with a loud motor between the wheels. Amazing. They've always been loud. They have. 
We'll get to the noise. My scooter is even loud. It kind of is. Yeah. These bikes were adding chaos to the American streets and many cities wanted to restrict their use. A flashback to skateboarding crimes, honestly. Mm-hmm. In response, many bikers began to organize to fight their restrictions, put together events, and expand their groups. Oh. One such example. You got to be careful with this accent because the last time I smoked Bill's <laughs> weed, I was at a game night with Robbie and Aaron. Oh, no. And uh, at their house, and we just passed a joint around. And we were playing like a mystery game. It's amazing. You would fucking love it. It's called Mysterium. And it's like one person is a ghost. And you just <laughs> the ghost has pictures that they give you so that you it's essentially clue. But the ghost is communicating with you through these like beautiful cards of images. And using those cards, you're trying to understand the hints that the ghost is telling you. And like then tarot pick- cards? No, they're like, well, yeah, they're like the size of a tarot card. But they are just different like artist renderings of whatever like all kinds of weird shit oh they're like dreamlike imagery and then you try to discuss to match using those hints who the ghost is trying to tell you is like the person location and murder weapon for this crime that happened okay it's really 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 fun but we were super high it's like pictionary pictionary meets clue but you (sighs) don't draw you just interpret cool it's really fucking cool but I got trapped in a bit with this, with that voice. So I was just like a <laughs> 1920s detective. What is that, like mid-Atlantic? I don't know, but one of the murder weapons was a jack in the box. <laughs> Bad. He killed his wife with a jack in the box. That's, so I did that, that for about jack four hours. jack popped out with some force. How do you kill, kill someone with a jack in the box? The jack in the box was closed and he beat her over the head with a jack in the box. Whoa. As I choke myself with my cord. Hey, tell us more <laughs> about motorcycle bikes, little lady. Go- with a plum. Okay. <laughs> In with 19- a plum? Oh, with a plum. A plum. A single plum. <laughs> like plums are not in season. <laughs> He killed her with a plum. Quick anecdote. When my parents were helping me redo my house, redo, yes. rebuild my house. Yeah. Well, it needed it. Let's all be very clear. She wasn't just doing like a fun remodel. She bought. No. They bought something that yeah. was budgeted to be uh, fixed. Mama was rough. It was priced budgeted wise correct but then we moved in and i was like oh the frame is at an angle and collapsing (laughs) before my eyes good thing my dad loves his youtube videos and his brother is a contractor anyway so a a plum you use a plum it's just a weight on the end of a string to figure out what's a straight line down and it's called a plum Plum. Cute. Plum. Grab the plum. A plum. (laughs) All right. Love that. Full of fun facts here today at Wine and Crime. Oh, yeah. We have plum here at Wine and (laughs) Crime. We have plum here. In 1903, 93 bikers, motor, motor bicyclists. Motorcycle bicyclists. Met to form the Federation of American Motorcyclists, or FAM. Okay, so this is like a legit thing. It's like a big thing that is still in existence today. 
Uh, fam is not. We'll get to it. Okay. But there, but there is an official organization. Okay, because there's something like that in my case, and I was kind of snickering, like, how much authority does this fucking thing have? Uh, And you're going to tell me, basically. There was quite a lot of organization involved, and that is essentially the entirety of my segment. So we will get to it. We're getting to it now. Great. I love it. (laughs) This federation's constitution sought to encourage the use of motorcycles and promote motorcyclists' general interests, defend defend and protect their rights, advise and assist in regulating motorcycle competitions and assist in what's called the good roads movement. Um, are you going to go deeper on motorcycle competitions or can I Google some pictures of and from motorcycle competitions? Cause I am muy curious. Do it. Okay. Do it. I have a feeling it's basically just like races. Like I want it to be like, like, who has the biggest Miss hog? Miss America. Like, who's just pre- <laughs> who has prettiest hog? Who has? It's like a dog. It's a hog show. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's just races. Best in show. Prettiest hog. <laughs> Please do Google because I. Yeah, it's didn't. races. This is really boring. Yeah. So the Good Roads Movement. I feel like this should have been something we learned in like American history in high school. But this was a national political movement that started in the 1870s to improve rural roads. Rural Rural roads. (laughs) Because they're terrible. I mean, they're dirt, so they're dusty in the summertime Mm -hmm. and, like, muddy and icy and gross in the wintertime. So I need somebody who understands AI art or isn't actually pre- preferable is an artist to make <laughs> fan art of like a Miss America pageant. But they're all motorcycles, like anthropomorphized motorcycles on a stage, like in their swimwear. Speak it into the, the best in high heels. The in wheels are stuffed into heels. <laughs> Ish. High wheels. High w- high wheels. <laughs> Five inch wheels. <laughs> Holy shit! Please. But also, five Please. inch wheels would be useless. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I'm gonna text Chat GPT just to see what crude imagery pops up. Continue. Okay, I will. I'm sorry. So this movement was driven largely by the post office so that they could they could promise free rural mail delivery because otherwise like their cars and their carriages and whatever like couldn't access a bunch of like most farm roads and all that okay. stuff. Yeah. So um the post office spearheaded this i think for the most part but also like farmers and bicyclists organizations because they also wanted easier uh access to these to roads Uh, yeah and at that point it was the majority of the roads in the u.s were like essentially inaccessible easily okay also uh, education progressive movements that wanted to provide rural populations with the same opportunities as urban populations. So interesting. When you think about it, like the the advances of roads, mm-hmm. it was important. It was important to put pressure on like state and federal governments to improve roads for a bunch of reasons. 
Okay. And at the end of the day, it was it was to give people who lived in rural areas the same access and the same benefits and opportunities as people in urban areas that had good roads and also like, you know, public transportation. Got it. Okay. So FAM's annual membership dues were $2. Mm-hmm. They had several committees such as membership, competition, roads, uh, roads, touring okay. and hotels, and legal action. There was like a lot of there was a big to do about motorcycles. They, at yeah, this they time. they they put their they dipped their toes in a lot of different ponds. They really did. There were a lot of like subcommittees. Who knew that they'd be so like influential? Mm-hmm. It's kind yeah. of a surprise. Well, we'll kind of get to it, but it was surprising to me that this kind of developed this early because FAM was established in 1903. True. And okay. we'll kind of get to like the, the, the post-war era. Got it, got it, got it, got it. So by 1915, FAM was recorded to have 8,247 members. Mm-hmm. But FAM was actually shut down in 1919 because of World War One, basically taking away all of its members because they were all like dudes. Okay. Who were drafted or who went to war. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. On November 15th, 1916, the Motorcycle and Allied Trades Association or the MNATA was founded. So when FAM eventually I shut down. M&Ms. Oh. God, I have a family size zip top bag of M&M's in my cabinet right now. You beast. <laughs> beast. Beast. So when FAM eventually shut down, the M&ATA, the M&M, was left with no counterpart organization to represent individual riders. So the M&ATA began registering riders and clubs, basically taking over FAM's responsibilities. Okay, so FAM's out. FAM's M&M out. M&M is in. M&M is in. In 1919, it it's began issuing national championship medals. So, like, I took that to mean it was recognizing sanctioned events, like mm. races and stuff. So, this competition committee within the M&A, within the M&M recognized 11 national championships that same year in 1919. And five years That's later... That's one a month! Yeah. That's a lot! And by 1924, five years later, it had over 10,000 members. So it exploded. This, Yeah, this was like a movement. Uh, Yeah. This is the movement that FAM had always wanted but couldn't pull off. And now Eminem is slaying the game. Yep. So the this Eminem like subcommittee that sanctioned these races Mm -hmm. later became the American Motorcycle Association or the AMA. Hmm. In May of 1924, which still exists today and is quite robust. So the AMA lives. Yeah. The AMA has like chapters in every major city, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, think I, so. I think it's I think it's the AMA that's referenced in my case. Okay. And my case is not about the AMA like being being like criminal or anything. It just they, they yeah. It's just yeah. mentioned. So the AMA basically just registers m- motorcyclists and also uh, monitors like the the contests, the racing, all that stuff. I'm interested in getting my motorcycle license, and I so I can maybe circle back and answer this question for myself later. But I wonder if, because in most states, at least in Minnesota, you have to get your motorcycle, like your specific motorcycle license. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and it requires classes and a road test, just like driver's ed, but for motorcycles. Mm-hmm. And then you go and you apply, like once you pass, you apply to have this like added in addition to your driver's license. I wonder if at that point when you're like at the DMV and you're like, I got an A and you're able to at, get your actual motorcycle license, if there's like an opportunity to sign up, to register, quote unquote, with the AMA at the same time, or if the AMA has access to like motorcycle license registration, and that's part of how it's such a robust, like, That's a very thing. good question. You know? I would assume that because- otherwise, who's registering for that? Other than people who are like obsessed with their motorcycles. But I, I mean, I wouldn't think to register with a club on my own. Well, we will get to the motivations behind people who register for these clubs and people who don't register okay. for these clubs. Okay, okay. I also don't believe that the AMA is part of like a government entity, so I don't think that the that like a driver's license application would overlap with that kind of membership, but Got it. Also, neither does like organ donation, and that True, does but that overlap. that goes on yeah. your license. Yeah, so maybe Maybe I we'll see. I'm, I was hoping that that could be a summer project for me because when I get rooting and scooting, Mama want to go fast. Yeah. Well, this Mama prays for you. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to do whatever you want to do, right? Because, and you don't want me to know, die. I get feminism. it. Feminism, right? I think statistically, it's a terrible idea. It, it's it scares me. As long as you have the appropriate gear. And I know oh, you always wear your helmet. I always wear my helmet. I'm going to get tricked out in the gear. Yeah. You, I'll wear a bubble. I'll wear I'm, a bubble suit. I'm choosing to believe you. Bounce I off the highway. Thus far have one friend who's passed away on a motorcycle accident. But that's mm-hmm. only one. Mm-hmm. Out of all the friends that I have, it's Your quota very is low. filled. Your quota is filled <laughs> for a lifetime. That's like. 20% of my friends. Just what kidding. that tells me is that it's impossible statistically for me to be to pass away from a motorcycle accident because you already have one friend who did it. <laughs> that is so how it works. <laughs> I think this is the best time for me to get my motorcycle. <laughs> You're not wrong. Okay, so the AMA's original slogan was, quote, an organized minority can always defeat an unorganized majority. Mm. It doesn't really slide off the tongue. So but today it's not wrong. they've workshopped it. And today their lo- their slogan is rights, riding, racing. Oh, that long one was literally their slogan, not like their bio. That was their slogan. That was their original <sighs> like 1919 slogan. But yeah, that's really long. And <laughs> the updated one is much cleaner. Three R's. Three R's. So the AMA strived for a broader acceptance and wants to promote wanted to promote a positive image of motorcycling. Okay. This positive image portrayed riders as safe, responsible, considerate citizens who quote present a good appearance to the public. Mm-hmm. Because they knew that like previous previous to this organization, motorcyclists were sort of seen as kind of Loud, disrespectful, deviant. I'd argue they're still seen that way. I mean, I think motorcyclists could be huge fucking douchebags. We'll get to it. Yeah. So their early statements dealt with the safe and responsible operation of vehicles, particularly on the subject of noise. Mm -hmm. This is from the AMA's website. Quote, 
concern about the negative effect of exhaust cutouts. So mm. the the revving and the motorcycle yep. noise. Yep. Led the association to develop its muffler mic campaign in 1948 that invited members to take a pledge for quiet writing. Oh, my God. In 1961, a more all-encompassing campaign titled Put Your Best Wheel Forward. <laughs> your went best a few steps high forward. wheel. <laughs> high wheel. <laughs> your best five-inch wheel. <laughs> so this campaign went a few steps further by encouraging all motorists to present a good appearance to the public, not only by their personal appearance, but also by their riding habits. In such measures as safety, mufflers, yep. special consideration of quiet zones, yep. and a very vaguely stated many other ways. Mm-hmm. And so, much, much more. Well, we'll kind of get back to the muffler mic and the put your best wheel forward in a minute. <laughs> I love put your best wheel forward. <laughs> I know. That was in the 60s, too. Oh, well, sorry. so cute. Yes, 1961. I love that. So backing up a little bit, World War II also boosted the motorcycle industry as the U.S. military called on manufacturers such as Harley-Davidson and Indian to yep. produce over 100,000 motorcycles for the war. Mm-hmm. Motorcycles were being bulked up and Harley-Davidson produced the knucklehead engine, which mm. made the motorcycle more powerful and more reliable. Motorcycles were also redesigned to have leather saddlebags and Ooh, rifle same. scabbards, so like ho- things to hold guns. Oh wow! When the World War II now veterans, they can hold your Stanley Cup. <laughs> not even this is too it's heavy. T- it's too thick. The thing's like a fucking cannon. It's triple insulated, babe. Okay. <laughs> when World it. War II, you're such a mom. Such a such a Stanley map. Such oh, she's not a regular map. She's a Stanley map. I can't bring it with me though, because it does not fit into my cup holder by any measure. No, they make the Stanley cup holder extenders. You can get Bitch, a third party no. cup holder insert. I can't. That can I hold can't your Stanley. There. I cannot go there. That's what my white Stanley is for. I'm gonna. I'm. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to get you one. <laughs> now I know for the rest of time, if I don't know what to get what to get you as a gift, it's just going to be an obscure Stanley accessory. <laughs> <laughs> like, you've created a monster. It's so big. I love it. It's ridiculous. If it were made by any other brand, I would love it just as much. It just so happens to be Stanley. And it's I have absurd. this really convenient straw and the thing that twists. Listen. And the handle. <laughs> I love it. Stanley, reach out to us because I will sing your praises all day long. (laughs) They don't need it. Oh, my God. So so when World War II veterans returned to the U.S., (laughs) many regular folks were shocked to see these vets take over the streets with their army surplus of motorcycles. Oh, okay. So this was a huge boom in... Just the everyday use because they were left over after the war. And not only that, 
They were, okay, so these motorcycles were much cheaper than cars and they afforded the veterans a mode of group transportation and mm. therefore the camaraderie reminiscent of the better social aspects of the war. Mm-hmm. They wanted to team up. They wanted to fly in their flocks. Mm-hmm. Also, this is making it make so much more sense why motorcycle gangs that like volunteer super nationalistic or, patriotic. Well, there are some that are like that. And I was like, there's two sides of the coin. There's like those like white supremacist, white nationalist loser subset. But then there are also other ones that are more living the, like the actual values of protecting and serving their community. Mm-hmm. Like there are motorcycle gangs that will show up to like be oh, like funeral anti like cop funerals cop, and stuff. Well, not even cop funerals. I've seen motorcycle gangs that have rolled up to be part of like anti pro life counter or like pro life counter protesting outside of like mm-hmm. you know uh, reproductive health clinics. There's a huge political aspect to yeah. motorcycle. I've seen, clubs. I, I guess I've seen some like woke motorcycle clubs mm-hmm. that do some like actually amazing activism in their communities. Mm-hmm. And that link to, like, the community and camaraderie of war and, like, serving a purpose... Absolutely. ...makes so much sense as to where that line would go. I mean, I would argue that all motorcycle clubs are political in some way. Mm Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. then by maybe any that claim to be apolitical, it's kind of political... That's their stance. ...in itself, yeah. Yeah. Also, speaking of the veterans, the leather flight jackets of returning World War II airmen soon became yep. the natural choice for many motorcyclists. Makes sense. Also helps with road rash or whatever. If you wipe yeah. out on your bike, leather is like the best thing to be wearing, right? Truly, yes. You want to be layered, but yes, leather should be your top, your top piece. According to the International Journal of Motorcycle Studies, who knew... That's actually my major is in <laughs> International Journal of Motorcycle Studies. Yes, your major is in this journal. <laughs> I'm, a sci- I'm a scientist. It was the 1947 Hollister Gypsy Tour. And like let the me brand? Be- uh, I don't know if the brand was based. No, Hollister is the name of the town. But there okay. was a uh, quote unquote gypsy tour that, that a lot of the motorcycle groups like took part in. Okay, that's I think it was what just it was like called a, then. Like a, that's what it was called then. I think yeah. I, it's my understanding that it was just a big like tour across the country. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, like through a region or something. And I mean, they're just using that term because it's like this nomadic yeah. motorcycle trip. Yeah. There were several gypsy tours. Mm-hmm. We won't get into the prob- problematic aspect of that. But mm-hmm. in 1947, in this town called Hollister, the gypsy tour went through, and this was uh, a turning point in motorcycle history. So it was the catalyst for future motorcyclists' association with chaos, havoc, rabble-rousing shenanigans. So at this event, the small town of Hollister had 5,000 residents, and the town became overwhelmed with about 4,000 riders who were just passing through. Just a lot of people. That is a lot of people. And this wasn't the first gypsy tour or the first time Hollister had hosted motorcycle races. But at this this particular date and time, there was a ton of drinking, fighting and street racing, which led to a lot of trouble. 
Mm-hmm. There were also uh, outlaw biker clubs, which were clubs that were not sanctioned by the AMA. Mm. So that's what we're calling the outlaw biker clubs. Okay. So some of these outlaw biker clubs in attendance include the pissed off bastards of Bloomington. <laughs> Bloomington, Minnesota. I assume so. Let's the market, assume. the Market Street Commandos, okay. the Booze Fighters, all right, and several more. The Lollipop Guild. <laughs> We're gonna um, be non-registered, non-regulation. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't adhere to anybody's rules. We need jackets. We'll park on the sidewalk. Damn it. <laughs> So this chaos led to two articles in the San Francisco Chronicle, which set off the Motorcyclists Association with wreaking havoc and defiance and all that stuff. Like just it, it was just a, it was a shit show. Mm-hmm. This also set off many within the motorcyclist community who wanted a clear distinction between the law-abiding motorcyclists mm-hmm. and the outlaw motor motorcyclists. So like, like you need to differentiate because we're not all like this Mm -hmm. and so these efforts eventually led to the put your best wheel forward that i mentioned earlier (laughs) put your best five inch wheel forward put your best wheel forward according to an uh a document released by the u.s department of justice titled outlaw motorcycle gangs usa overview Mm -hmm. there are five quote-unquote official outlaw motorcycle gangs in the u.s today They describe these outlaw motorcycle gangs as organizations whose members use their motorcycle clubs as conduits for criminal enterprises such as violent crime, weapons trafficking, and Mm -hmm. drug trafficking. Oh, yeah. And probably human trafficking and all sorts of other shit. Mm Mm-hmm. So these gangs include the Hells Angels. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to come back to the Hells Angels. Mm Mm-hmm. The Pagans. The Outlaws. The Banditos and the Sons of Silence. Mm. So, according to this document, the Hells Angels are the world's largest, most organized, and wealthiest motorcycle gang. Unlike most outlaw motorcycle gangs, the Hells Angels don't have a national or international president, but instead have regional officers chosen to represent various chapters at regional meetings. And according to the Hells Angels website, which, by the way, is hells-angels.com. And this is where I'm coming back to the horrible website. I was just going to ask, should I go? Yes, because this I'm going to hells-angels.com. I oh, I don't like. Oh, no. Okay, so I was like, it's taking so long to load. Yeah, because of this fire gif that it has as its fucking- The fire gif is sucking up all of its bandwidth. All and of also, its emails. If you go to the top and go to our club and go down to bars, <gasps> most of the- bu- There are literal bars that are like friendly to bikers. Okay, this just looks like a menu at a diner. Almost all of them are the other place- click em. And they're not clickable. They're broken links. They're and horrible. They're just, like code. it's just HTML. Like it's this terrible. is really bad. Did you screenshot this for the drive? Because I'm going to. You do it. I'm just do it. it. Right they also now. have merch. This is so embarrassing. I they love have, this. They have a guest. Are we gonna get taken out by Hell's Angels because we're making fun of their? I mean, just get website. a better web designer. Also, their guest book is. 
limited to like certain languages. I don't know. This is embarrassing. They are international. I just invest in somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing. Invest. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm also uploading the AI picture that I asked for earlier. Thank God. I didn't get good results, but I am uploading it. So according to this ratchet Hell's Angle Hell's Angles, Hell's Angels website, they this are present is definitely in a Hell's Angles website. Hell's this is Angles. not the Hell's Angels website. They are present in five continents, 62 countries, and have 475 charters worldwide. I think I think okay. that's meant to say chapters worldwide. Well, they'll get to it. So they'll fix it late. They'll fix it in post. Some of these outlaw motorcycle gangs can be identified by a one percent patch. So if you've ever seen that, yep. so this we'll patch talk ref- about the one percent. So this one percent patch refers to a comment by William Barry, who was a former AMA president, in which he said that ninety nine percent of motorcyclists were law abiding citizens. So this obviously notably excluded one percent which implied that the patch wearer is an outlaw. Mm-hmm. So nowadays, the main difference between an outlaw club and a non-outlaw motorcycle club is their adherence to the law and their relationship with society. Okay. So that is essentially my background on- Love it. Motorcycle clubs, motorcycle gangs. Motorcycle. We see, we see where it came from. We see how it's been perpetuated. Mm-hmm. We get the 1%. Yep. I think those are probably the most important tidbits. And also, if anyone out there listening is a member of Hell's Angels, please. We're curious. The HTML. We're curious how we can help you with your website. because Very curious. I want you to rough. succeed. Just yeah, kidding. I is... don't really. It's all human travel. <laughs> well... <laughs> There's in always, theory, there's always I, something. It's it is a lot of humans in traffic on their bikes. I'll just say, in general, as an organization, you can do better. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, mm-hmm. that is my segment. I love it. Thank you. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll dive into my case. I would love that. Tis the month of love, and there is nothing I love more. Than comfortable shapewear and like bras and pantaloons. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, support for today's episode comes from Honey Love, and Honey Love has revolutionized compression technology so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. And plus, their shapewear features lingerie inspired design details that you will want to show off. You really will. They're cute. I honey love my honey love bra. Okay. <laughs> For a limited time, you can get honey love on sale and get 20% off your entire order with our exclusive link. That's honeylove.com forward slash wine. You can support our show and check them out at honeylove.com forward slash wine. Tell us more, Lucy. You know, I think anyone who's ever worn shapewear in the past Hates it. <laughs> has a, a bad taste in their mouth. Truth. A bad Same. taste on your hips, under your boobs. Mm. Like, there's underwire that pokes through. There's, like, a weird crotch seam that you just mm-hmm. can't, like, stop thinking about all night. Yeah. Like, yeah. any any wedding that I'd ever been to before, like, a couple years ago, it's just, like, the, the thing that I remember most is my shapewear, and it's not 
great. Not great. But then I was introduced to Honey Love and they have changed the game. So mm. I especially want to tell you about Honey Love's best-selling superpower short. I'm obsessed with the superpower short. I wear it all the time yeah. just to not chafe. Yeah. It's not even about like, oh, I have to go to a wedding a couple times a year. I'm going to pull this on. It's like... No, no. Uh, no. Like, it's going to be a staple of your wardrobe. You're not even going to mm-hmm. think of it as shapewear because it is so comfortable. Mm-hmm. They have targeted compression technology that distinguishes areas where you want a little bit more support. And maybe areas you need a little more or less compression. So it's like mm-hmm. an like an X design that just mm-hmm. it sculpts your midsection without squeezing your natural curves. You got to let your body shine through, babe. Yes, honey. It's designed to work with your body and not against it. Also, I want to talk about using the bathroom when you're in shapewear. Yes, please, because it can be a real nightmare. It can be a horrible nightmare. I have had to ask a stranger into the stall to help me pull it off before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That no was more. not a great memory. Mm-hmm. So struggling to take off a tight piece of shapewear, like, with the line to the bathroom out the door, those days are over. So this superpower short has a 100% cotton gusset so you can skip the extra undies. Plus it Mm -hmm. has a convenient opening in that area for easy Mm -hmm. bathroom use. So you don't even really have to pull off your whole outfit. Sure don't. Easy access, baby. They have thought of everything. And if you have tried shapewear in the past and you have had a bad experience... You need to try Honey Love because this changes the game. It's not even shapewear. Like we said, it's like everyday wear. Yeah. And speaking of everyday wear, they also have, like I mentioned, incredibly comfortable bras. They have tanks. They have leggings. Mm. The Honey Love leggings are chef's kiss. I can't. So treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com forward slash wine. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com forward slash wine. After you purchase, they're going to ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them that we sent you. Treat yourself to Honey Love because you deserve it. It's February, babes. We might be spicing up date night. We might be getting ready to go out. We might be reconnecting with our partners. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a handy dandy tool that's going to help you feel confident from head to toe. And I'm telling you, it's Lumi. Okay. I am excited to tell you about Lumi whole body deodorant. It's for pits. It's for privates. It's for beyond. And Lumi is a game changing whole body deodorant designed by an OBGYN to not only work on pits, because that is not the only like place where we sweat or get odor. Okay. Sure isn't. We get, we get stinky feet. We get musty privates. We get anywhere else we get over odor, you know, under the boob. Okay. That's a big one for me. No matter where you use it, Lumi is clinically proven to block odor all day long thanks to its one of a kind pH optimized formula. And they've got over 275,000 five star reviews to show for it. So it's not just us. We're telling you, make the switch to Lumi. And this Valentine's will be all about head to toe confidence. 
That smells like a second date to me. That smells like rekindling the romance. Mm -hmm. And there's a special offer for you. New customers get $5 off Lumi's starter pack, which is like the best thing ever, with our exclusive code GALS5, G-A-L-S-5, at lumideodorant.com, L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. Tell us more, Lucy. I got to say, they're Lumi wipes are the my favorite best. thing. I just throw some in my bag if I'm feeling a little a little bit stanky, a little bit moist, even just if mm-hmm. I think that I am, you know, the after a plane ride, come on. Babe. Yeah. If mm-hmm. you need a little freshening between the legs, just saying. Mm-hmm. And like Amanda said, these were created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how normal BO was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. So mm-hmm. these things are clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. Mm-hmm. It's better than a shower with soap alone. Yep. So like 12 hours after a shower, the average person has an odor level of 6 out of 10. And with Lumi, that level is a 0 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like it's it stops the stink before it starts. It's a, it's a pre-odorant. It is. It's baking soda free and it's paraben free. It is safe for use below the belt. You can just you can just attack all those spots that are a little bit Go stinky, a little bit moist, little you might feel a little bit weird about because we want you to have the most romantic Valentine's Day of your life. We do. And we cannot recommend Lumi's starter pack highly enough. It is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant a cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice. I highly recommend the mini body wash and the deodorant wipes. Okay, Mm. don't skimp on those. And then it's got free shipping. And as a special offer for our listeners, like we said, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code GALS5 at lumideodorant.com. And that equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code GALS5. And treat your odor. Try to ever find yourself craving a getaway from the routine of daily life the drudgery Mm. you just want a fresh new adventure yes indulge in a steamy fantasy world filled with hundreds of sexy stories on dipsy designed to turn you on whatever your fantasy may be Yes, ma'am. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for everyone. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. You can discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there is a growing library of fantasy series... Okay, Uh, this is having a renaissance, people. We got vampires. We got Greek gods. We got fairy smut. Fairy what? Fairy smut, baby. You can explore the bounds of your pleasure beyond this astral plane. Damn. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again and again and again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read if your headphones are not charged. So let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash gals. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsea stories.com slash g-a-l-s 
One more time, dipsystories.com slash gals and treat you fantasies. Treat them. Okay, are you ready for my case for this? Yes. Whole shebang. I'm so ready. This case is weird and silly. Okay. And dark. Love it's it. It's bad. It's fine. <laughs> I'm high. Show I'm don't to tell. Like... Yeah, exactly. I think I nailed that. Okay. <laughs> the highwaymen are a notoriously rough-and-tumble motorcycle club founded in Detroit in 1954. Highwaymen Motorcycle Club was Detroit's most feared motorcycle gang, operating out of an ominous black-painted clubhouse in southwest Detroit where, like, a winged skeleton sign hangs above the door. Very witchy. Okay. Don't approach. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely like, no girls allowed. <laughs> He-Man Woman's Hater Club. He-Man Woman Haters Club, for sure. To put rough and tumble into a perspective that we can all actually understand, the assistant U.S. attorney, Andrew Goetz, described some of the club's criminal past in a later court filing saying, quote, they terrorized Southwest Detroit for decades through drug dealings, protection rackets, beatings, and theft. They referred to themselves as the One Percenter Club. Mm Mm-hmm which takes its name from a famous quote attributed to the American Motorcycle Association in the 1940s that 99% of bikers follow the law while 1% boasts of flouting the law. The gang became infamous in the 1970s when some members were convicted of bombing, raiding, and conducting drive-by shootings at the clubhouses of their rival gang members. Lord. And yes, I will only be picturing this case through the lens of Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet from here on out. <laughs> that makes this a lot more palatable. The like Hawaiian button up shirts. Oh, we need to do a rewatch of that. It's f- that it's movie bizarre formed me as a as a child. Like I associate that movie with you because I know how much you loved it. I watched it in. Ca- Blelly Blord's Attic, and we had to have the subtitles on because I didn't know what the fuck they were saying. Well, Shakespeare. You were like 11. I know. I think to this day, I wouldn't know what the fuck they were saying. But Me either. Me either. I'm just reading Leo DiCaprio's body language. Yep. Mm-hmm. Through the fish tank. Yes. Isn't John Leguizamo in that, too? Yes. Uh, Is he Marcuccio or whatever? Marcuccio? Is he Marcuccio? I think, uh, mm, uh, I don't remember. Someone out there is screaming at us right now. Is it you? If it's you, you can, you can add us. Because <laughs> we're not Leguizamo. Googling it right now. Are you Googling it right now? Yeah. He played the one that was like a cat. That's all I remember. In cats? Okay. Moving on. <laughs> there was another incident where several club members pulled up in front of an occupied Southwest Detroit home and fired 15 rounds indiscriminately into the house. Mm. And it's, you know, assumed that people who lived in that home were of a rival club. He was Tibble. Tibble. Okay. Mm. Got it. The highwaymen were so violent and intense that they even managed to keep the dominant Hells Angels motorcycle gang off of their turf entirely in Detroit, which is like pretty shocking because mm. there's, I would imagine there were at this time a lot of Hells Angels. Yeah. As that's being, a lot of, that's a big driving force. Well, yeah, seeing as how Hells Angels was and remains like the biggest motorcycle club and then Detroit is literally Motor City. 
like cars and bikes ah, are made there. Very true. Very so true. So they probably have a they'd want to have a strong presence there. So I, I I just feel like it puts into perspective that like they were so violent and intense that even the Hell's Angels, which was the biggest ever in one of the most like important cities in the Midwest for the automotive industry mm-hmm. could still be held at bay by these fucking mm-hmm. Looney Tunes. So the president of the Detroit Federation Motorcycle Clubs also outlawed the club and banned them from their federation, which, like, I can't tell how much power the president of the DFMC has, but at <laughs> least he tried. It's like, you can't be associated with us. Fuck off. Yeah. You know, but, like, what does your band mean? Like, you can't have our patch on your leather vest? Okay. Bye. Yeah, but like we like we said in my segment, like a lot of this was so political that like yeah, people, that being denounced, people were paying attention to it, whether or not you were like a confirmed or an outlaw motorcycle yeah. gang. I guess it's just so it's this is not part, at least in my worldview, of like the current zeitgeist, like at all. I don't think about motorcycle gangs or motorcycle clubs, like. Ever. It's not prominent in our media. It's not prominent in our news. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's not prominent and effective in certain communities. Oh, I'm sure I, I guarantee it absolutely is. I what I'm I think what I'm wondering is at the time that this was such a big deal in the 70s and 80s, was it part of like the broader cultural zeitgeist in a way that it's not now? Now it seems more subset of like you said specific communities often mm-hmm. like freaking proud boy bullshit this is obviously a huge part of their daily life and and what kind of information and media they're taking in but like wherever i'm getting my news and like watching my tiktoks i'm not seeing any of these fucking people yeah well I so mean, i'm just curious it, in effect it obviously kind of was mm-hmm. but yeah it's just it must have been totally different time yeah their antics were not just aimed at civilians or other rival club members. They also targeted law enforcement. In one incident in the 1980s, a DEA agent in charge of investigating the highwayman was shot as he drove to work, though not fatally. According to the Daily Beast, quote, if you ratted out Detroit's notorious highwayman motorcycle club, you should know what to expect, members said. Snitches would wind up in a dumpster, one former member testified in a 2010 trial against the club's leadership. So like, the DEA and the FBI had, like, informants, mm-hmm. and they were reporting that, like, you don't want to, like, you'll get murdered if you're, yeah. like, talking about what's going on in this club. Well, and if these clubs are committing crimes, like, you mm-hmm. know, if they're if their whole, like, you know, drugs and human trafficking and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a lot to lose, so, of course, they're going to hold they do. their shit tight. Well, yeah. They're dealing in some wild criminal activity that would would and does get them into a lot of fucking trouble, including literal murder. Mm. So they're basically the mafia on two wheels. Like the, the highwaymen specifically, their big thing is like drugs like and racketeering, like shutting down and paying off informants and snitches. So the highwaymen got away with so much like time and time and time and time again. Like they were huge in the 70s and we don't see anyone really prominent have their day in court until the early 2000s. Like, they were getting away with the shit left and right. Well, like, Mm -hmm. I guess, like, layering different people. Like, how do you Mm -hmm. know who's at the top? Right. Oh. So, 
Partly this was due to the severity with which they dealt with suspected snitches like that I was mentioning just now. They would deliver beatings with fists, beer bottles, and chairs, which, like, it's giving WWE SmackDown. Mm -hmm. When they suspected that someone was a snitch or if someone was behind on their, like, protection payments, then people would get the shit beaten out of them. Ooh, protection payments. Right. Finally, though, in May of 2007... The FBI arrested 40 members of the Highwaymen Club in a massive simultaneous raid. Oh, my God. These individuals were charged with, like, everything that stuck. But the big things were racketeering, murder for hire, assault, drug trafficking, and fraud. The investigation... Yeah, low-hanging fruit. I mean, (laughs) when we think about the mob, like, so much of this reminds me of the mob... The racketeer, yeah. The racketeer, like, we couldn't take down fucking Al Capone for anything except his taxes. It was the tax man who took him down. Mm -hmm. So, like, fuck with the money. That's what, they're going to get you on the stuff with the money. Yep. Uh, Because capitalism protects and cares about that more than the people you're actually killing. So, the investigation that led to these charges took over two years, relying mainly on legal wiretaps. And the FBI had captured approximately 30,000 conversations. That doesn't even really give us a scope of how many minutes or hours of, of audio this was. That's that more they poured conversations over. than I've ever had. Ever, And we're podcasters. We have conversations for a living, and I don't <laughs> think I've had 30,000 conversations. That's my 30,000 conversations is my worst nightmare. Yup. So 30,000 conversations over two years, and the tapes revealed that a leader in the of this motorcycle club, which we're about to meet him, was bragging about violent crimes that he had allegedly committed against those who had angered him, including a cook at a restaurant that this guy who was being recorded owned in Fucking Dearborn, Michigan. Come on. In one call, he claimed to have stabbed the cook and tossed him in a dumpster because they had a fight. Oh, my God. Yeah. In an, in another recorded conversation, this same guy gave a crony directions by referencing a location as right down there where I shot that guy. <laughs> Which is like how I want directions. It's from not here on funny, out. but like, come the fuck on. So pass, pass like the big boy donut sign, the one with the giant donut. Yep. Okay. So you take a left there. You go about 100 yards. It's like, mm. you know, by that dumpster. Uh, yeah. Where I shot that guy. Where I shot that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Just right to just just to the right of where I shot that guy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, great, boss. I know exactly where that is. Jesus Christ. Don't incriminate me. Yeah. So there were cooperative FBI informants, which like we'll get to it. But this was dicey. And one of these FBI informants was even murdered by the gang that he was discovered when once he was discovered as an operative. <laughs> so I not great. Yeah, this is a well-oiled machine. Yep. So the guy at the center of like all of these wiretap conversations was the president, the or sorry, Highwayman's vice president at the time, a guy named Aref Nagi, who went by, uh, or it might be Naji, who went by Scarface Steve. He was known for being absolutely ruthless about rooting out snitches. So again, from the Daily Beast, I don't want to cross someone named Scarface, whose whose nickname. Is Scarface. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the club's leader, Aref Scarface Naji, was obsessed with hunting down the secret informants in their midst when federal investigators infiltrated the highwaymen in preparation for a massive 2007 racketeering bust. But beneath Raji's search for so-called rats was a secret. 
and we will get to that secret. Oh, oh good. So the FBI had a number of these secret recordings of Najee ranting about potential leaks coming from inside the group. He was just like, he would not let go of this idea. And eventually when the FBI raided the highwayman's clubhouse, they found a photograph of one of their two confidential informants with the word rat scrawled in black marker across his face. Stop. This is a, a bad plot line. Yeah. The, I wrote the ultimate entry into their clubhouse burn book. <laughs> She, what's it? She's a stupid slut face. <laughs> I can't remember what. Do not trust her. Yeah. She is a fugly slut. Fugly slut. There we go. <laughs> so good. So, yeah, the, the rat was a picture of that former FBI in, informant. Got the it. Guardian has so many good bites about this case, so I'm going to keep quoting them because they did such a great job. Quote, multiple witnesses testified that during the summer of 2006, there was a lot of talk at the Detroit Chapter Clubhouse about discovering and punishing a snitch or a rat, a judge wrote in an opinion in Najee's case, adding that a picture of the FBI informant was hanging behind the bar at the Detroit Chapter Clubhouse with rat written across it. So this is the very informant that landed Najee with the conspiracy to commit murder charge that he gets because he was plotting to kill this guy who was an FBI informant. Good God. And put a bounty out on his head. Oh, my God. Yep. <laughs> so the investigation continued after the initial mass arrest in 2007, and eventually the U.S. Attorney's Office would arrest a total of 91 alleged members of the club. So it started at 40. You know what? <sighs> yep. And then the investigation continues. They get a bunch of information out of that 40, and then they end up arresting 91 people. That's a lot of fucking And then people. the information they get from the 91. It just grows and grows and grows. <laughs> In 2010, more than 30 highwaymen, Najee included, were convicted and sent to prison to serve lengthy sentences, usually in the ballpark of like 30 years. So pretty bad. That's a lot of years. Yeah. That's a lot of years. But a lot of them fucking earned it. Oh, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. You're out here trying to kill people mm -hmm. and sometimes succeeding. Mm hmm. But remember that secret I alluded to earlier? I do. I do. It turns out that one of the confidential informants was Najee himself. I'm not that surprised. Right? He was like the epitome of the lady doth protest too much. Like, yeah. I hate rats. <laughs> I really do. If I ever see one, I'll squash him. Dirty. Ew. Bad. <laughs> so unfortunately, I guess, depending on how you look at this, this outcome is... Due to the fact that Najee may have been working all along with federal and local police agencies, some of the highwaymen, some of the like 31 that are behind bars for like serious convictions serving long sentences are now being challenged in court, those sentences oh. and those cases. Because the theory is that Najee could have been using his status as an informant to either like weed out folks that he wanted to be rid of. Oh. Or I've informed on them before. I'm going to give this false testimony to try and reduce my sentence. So like. Who's a rat now, Najee? Who's a rat now? So I, while I agree that folks should have new trials in, in light of the possible like sketchiness of this whole thing, it could also lead to actual violent offenders 
convictions being overturned. Walking so it's kind free. of a oh. it's kind of a double-edged sword. Because mm-hmm. maybe he did point the finger at some people who like, yeah, we're part of the highwaymen, so they're probably fucking pieces of shit, but they weren't murdering anyone. Also to throw that whole thing out for however many Years, people like 91 oh, arrests and yeah. 31 people behind bars. That that's gonna cause some problems. Yeah, it's pissing a lot of people off. Mm-hmm. So who ratted out the Rat King? Lower Rat King. A fellow convicted highwayman named Gary Ball Jr., who from prison used Michigan's Freedom of Information Act to uncover Scarface Steve Najee's hidden connection with investigators. Stop! He literally just scoured paperwork and found the trail while he had plenty of free time, like, bored off his ass and pissed off in prison. So he filed an FOIA to (gasps) Michigan from prison and got these stacks, got it approved and got these stacks of files, and this is what he was working on. And he found (laughs) evidence that Najee was a fucking informant the whole time. If I can be unbiased as as towards the morals of this, that is of course. amazing. I love it. This it's brilliant. <laughs> so so the FOIA request included a police profile that revealed that Najee, the sworn enemy of snitches, had once worked with a federal agency as a secret informant. Oh my god. Yep. Oh I know. What a dumb dumb. <laughs> like literally the call is coming from inside of the house, bitch. That's incredible. Awful. Mm-hmm. Incredible. It's yeah, it, it can be both. Mm-hmm. So Ball Jr. is currently serving a 30 year sentence for racketeering, conspiracy to transport stolen vehicles, drug trafficking conspiracy and conspiracy to obliterate vehicle identification numbers. Classic nah, ball. Uh, uh. Cl- typical Ball Jr. <laughs> Vintage Ball. Vintage Ball Jr. (laughs) BJR. BJR. But Ball Jr. is now gunning for a new trial in light of Najee's involvement because a lot of what Najee's testimony or like snitching is what put Ball Jr. behind bars in the first place. So there's a hearing scheduled that hasn't happened yet to consider this request focusing on legal irregularities that he himself uncovered through the FOIA, including- The fact that defense attorney Lawrence Shulman, who was representing Ball, Ball Jr., also represented a co-defendant named Randy McDaniel, and Ball Jr. never knew that he was in a that he was being represented as a co-defendant with another defendant by the same attorney. What? Like Shulman, uh, his attorney just didn't tell him that. And co-defendants don't always have to uh, go to court together. No, yeah, but the so that he just uh, didn't know. Because they had separate trial, like, court dates. It's so stupid. Oh, my God. Court records also show that Shulman managed to cut a deal for this other client, the co-defendant, Randy McDaniel, uh, that resulted in Randy's Highwayman case being dropped because he was also part of another federal case against him. But not Ball Jr.'s? But no such deal was offered for Ball Jr. You know what? Yeah. Shulman fucked him over, I think, a little bit. Yeah. You fucked Ball. You fucked Ball Jr. <laughs> Lawrence fucked Ball. Lawrence fucked Ball. Shulman, for his part, denies, of course, that there was ever a conflict of interest, saying of his former client, Ball Jr., quote, I went to the mat for him during his trial and left it all on the floor. Okay. Fucking okay. sports. Yeah. yeah that's leave, enough. Leave the leave the sport illusions out of it. Yeah. We're, we're good without those cute little 
cute little quips. You sound dumb. Mm-hmm. According to Ball Jr.'s new attorney, a man named David Schoen, the Shulman lawyer conflict alone should be enough to get Ball Jr. a new trial. But like I mentioned before, the revelation that Najee was also an informant has the potential to like undo a lot of these other convictions as well. Yeah. And Schoen tells reporters in an interview, this ca- this whole case is a mess. Like there's so much red string now that's like unraveling because mm-hmm. of this. So nah, this is amazing. <laughs> I like, I can't believe this next part. Najee and his defense attorney, a man named James Thomas, actually led defense strategy meetings with his other co-defendants, other people that were in this gang. And Najee, having been, I guess, the president of the of the Hellfires or the fuck their name is, was like agree it was agreed upon that he's gonna be like the defense team leader. Like if he's at the top of the food chain out there. He's also at the top of the food chain among all these other co-defendants in this case. Okay. So throughout the course of all this back and forth, Ball Jr. and the other defendants disclose a lot of information to Najee and his attorney because it's like, if you're representing all of us under the umbrella of this case, yeah, we're going to tell you everything that we know. But their supposed confidential disclosures were likely being fed directly to the FBI and prosecutors and potentially used against them in favor of Najee for giving up yet more information on his buddies to get a shorter sentence. Oh, my God. Yeah, but that's not even the wildest part. Oh, no. So, like, Najee, who hates rats, is, like, the ultimate rat, and he's still ratting to help himself he's in trial, which I think is fucking rat. hilarious. He's just, like, siphoning information to the FBI. Yup. And when Ball Jr. was like, hey, lawyer, this guy's been a rat from the beginning. Like, go tell him that we know he's a fucking rat and that we're not like with him anymore. And Najee's attorney, James Thomas, vehemently denies that his client ever acted as a police informant and even swore so on an affidavit. Lawyers can lie. His proof or um, it's not proof. It's theory. Is amazing. Okay. So he's theorizing and swore to this that the FOIA request revealing the name of one of the informants was indeed the name RF Naji. But Naji's lawyer claims that this must be a different individual in the Detroit area, also named RF Naji, who also just happens to share the same birthday and happens to be interested in the same case. Yep, you and happens to be um, previously convicted of, like, the same crimes. <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, no, it's got to be a different, it's got to be a different RF Najee. There's I no mean, way. There's no way. out of the realm of yes, imagination. Okay, imagination, yes. Possibility. Oh, my God. It's out of the realm. Oh, my God. Quote, Najee's lawyer, who did not return a request for comment, told the free press that Najee had never been a law enforcement informant and that perhaps Ball Jr. had accidentally received a file on the wrong RF Najee from the Detroit area. (laughs) But Ball Jr.'s FOIA also contained old mugshots of Najee, so his picture, and listed his birthday correctly. (laughs) How far you gotta go, lawyer? Right? The RF, not, 
The RF Najee in the FOIA he received has a birth date of August 17th, 1963, confirmed as the same as the accused, and detailed how in 1992, Najee arranged for delivery of two kilos of cocaine in a shopping center parking lot <laughs> and then promptly gave the signal for Troy police officers and the DEA to swoop in. <laughs> so like, yeah, it's the same guy. He was working with the cops at least when it was convenient for him to do so. And there was a history of him way back in the 90s working with the cops. That's in the FOIA. So, like, it's you, dude. It's a very long trail. Very what, long on the trail. Counter? It wasn't me. Somebody <laughs> back out on the sofa. It, it wasn't, wasn't me. I even her in the shower. It, it was a Najee. It was a Najee. It was a Najee. <laughs> I can't. So... Unlike James Thomas, federal prosecutors do not deny Ball Jr.'s allegations against Najee or his role as a police informant, but they do downplay its significance, likely because none of them really want to reopen all of this shit that took years in the first place and risk, like, fucking with their conviction stats, which I don't agree with. Uh, yeah. I think now that we have this information, whether we like it or not, that's how the justice system works. We have to give these folks a proper trial mm -hmm. with this all out in the open. Mm -hmm. Even if it doesn't necessarily change the results, it needs to happen. Yeah. At least to just be on record. Exactly. Because mm -hmm. that's, that's how justice should fucking work. Should. So, yeah, exactly. Big should. U.S. Attorney Graveline said that the fact that Najee was convicted and handed a lengthy prison sentence, because he, he also got around, he got 37 years, which we'll get to, oh. proves in and of itself that he did not cooperate with law enforcement. But I disagree with this, and I think this just falls under the umbrella of, like, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Just because you got a lengthy sentence doesn't mean you it wouldn't have been worse for you if you hadn't snitched on your buddies, and now people are mad at you from all sides. Mm -hmm. because you stitched on your buddies. So, like, it's a snake eating its own fucking tail. But I don't necessarily think that the length of conviction alone is proof that he didn't cooperate with law enforcement. They don't yeah. give a fuck about you. They'll put you away as long as they possibly can under any circumstances. Mm -hmm. I don't care how much you informed. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Scarface Steve had originally been sentenced 37 years in prison, but that was later reduced to 27 years after an appeal and then in 2016, Najee's sentence was cut down again to 20 years based on submissions from his lawyer citing his exemplary conduct in federal prison. Oh. So, like, the next question was, did he or did he not at two bananas this whole fucking thing? And he did, though, right? At, right. At this point, quote, we don't know for sure because okay. so much has to go back to trial. But, like, I'm saying it. Yeah, he absolutely fucking did. It's, like, in the FOIA. So, like, what do you mean? You know, the other defendants in this case sitting in prison also believe that he fucking did because he fucking did. So Ball Jr.'s attorney Schoen thinks that he should have a chance to question Najee and James Thomas, the, the other lawyer, under oath. Schoen says, quote, the overriding point is the defendants are entitled to know this stuff and it was never disclosed. So that puts James Thomas in a bad, like if you don't turn things over in discovery and they find out that you didn't. Oh, it's like, bad. You're fucked, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, you could have prison time for that. Mm -hmm. And you are not going to practice law anymore. You can't do shit like that. Mm -hmm. And since Gary Ball Jr. himself raised this issue, two other imprisoned highwaymen, Leonard Moore, who was nicknamed Dad. He's on the drive. You can see Dad. a picture of Leonard Dad Moore. He was dubbed the club's godfather. And the club's former national president, Joseph Little Joe Whittling, 
have filed similar arguments in court to get new trials. Okay, dad does look like a dad, though. He does. Such a dad. Gross. Looks like a scary dad. Gross Yeah, dad. they're all they're all gross. I don't there's like not, the dad. There's not a cutie in the patootie. Not a single one of the bunch. Looks like a dad, but not my dad or your no, dad. No, no, no. Thank no, God. No, not a gentle dad. Mm-mm. Moore's attorney said that Mr. Ball and Mr. Moore were constitutionally entitled to know that Najee had been in the government's employ as a cooperating witness. And that's true. They were entitled to fucking know that. In November of 2021, a federal judge ordered the release of RF Scarface Steve Najee on the grounds of compassionate release, citing his health in the face of the coronavirus pandemic. That's nice. His lawyer claimed that his longtime use of steroids could leave him with a compromised immune system, which is especially (laughs) dangerous during COVID. (laughs) My client, he's too roided out. He'll never survive the corona. He's abused too many drugs in the past. Dangerous. Truly. (laughs) The judge also cited Najee's astounding effort towards rehabilitation while in prison. And his prison records do show that he stayed busy because he took a ton of classes from basic math and history to business, wellness, problem solving, and also law. I mean, what else are you going to do while you're in there? Yeah. He also completed vocational apprenticeships and trades, including culinary arts, automotive technology, and industrial housekeeping. I fucking so, would too, because again, I would learn you've every got skill. Nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do. I would learn every skill. <sighs> so after being initially sentenced to 37 years in prison, including murder for hire, <laughs> he ended up serving 11 years. So I think he's fucking oh, fine. Oh God. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I just, my favorite part of that is like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not RF Najee. Th- that's a different RF that's Najee. That's a different that's RF Najee. The same birthday and the same. It's same bir- I know. It's so weird, same, right? Blah, 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 blah. It's so weird. We thought it was weird, too. Like, we ran into each other at the bar. It was the crazy. Three times. And- the, uh, the-, <laughs> <laughs> the car rolled three times. And, and my son, my son had to go get the car. I'm under a lot of stress. <laughs> so that's my case. Good God. I mean, yeah, that does illustrate like how, like the how high up this shit goes and like yeah. how deep it is. It's organized crime. It's a mm-hmm. it's a mob on wheels. But yes. your best tire forward. But not all motorcycle clubs mm-hmm. are like that. Certainly not. Not but the lollipop guild. Always put your best wheel forward. The only crime we commit is the crime of too many smiles and too much laughter. Oh, too much if that's ours so you can take that to the bank well thank you so much to justin white for our very special fan pick this week oh, and God thank you for you, listening and uh wear your helmet wear your leather yeah wear your tassels we'll talk to you next week bye-bye thanks for listening to wine and crime our cover art is by kala yip music by phil young and Corey wendell editing by jonathan camp Our production manager is Andrea Gardner. For photos and sources, check out our blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can follow us on all the socials at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, and get access to all sorts of wine-fueled bonus content, visit our Patreon page. Cheers!